The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and also he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. And the second reading is from Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 to 22. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning, St. Tom's. My name's Ros. I'm also an assistant minister here at, um, here at St. Tom's. And let me pray before I begin. Lord God, we thank you for your word 
and for the people who have obeyed you in the past. And we pray that as we open this story this morning that you will help us to see um, these amazing women and their part in your great story of redemption. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you afraid of? Is it something simple like mice or spiders? Is it more complicated like enclosed spaces or heights? Or is it a person or a group of people? We all have things that we're afraid of to varying degrees. And fear can be a good thing or a bad thing. If a fear of heights stops me from balancing on the edge of a 100-metre cliff, that's a good thing. But if it stops me from enjoying the view from a safe lookout, then it's a bad thing. It's not a good thing. If a fear of snakes stops me from grabbing the nearest tiger snake by the tail, that's good. But if it stops me from enjoying a walk in the bush then it's not good. Fear can help us, but if it stops me from, if it impacts on our enjoyment of life, then it's time to perhaps to get professional help. And today's reading involves fear, both good and bad. And at the centre of this story are two women who are on my list of biblical heroes. Let's start, though, with some background. In Genesis, we hear the story of Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, who was sold as a slave in Egypt. He rose up to become the right-hand man of Pharaoh, and he saved Egypt during a severe famine, and so was highly respected by the Egyptians. And his father and brothers and their families came to Egypt to escape the same famine, and settled there, and they were safe and provided for because of their relationship with Joseph. Here at the start of Exodus, we read how over time that generation died out, and the fam- but the families grew significantly in number, and it's described a bit over the top. We read that they were fruitful and prolific, multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, So the land was filled with them. You got the picture? This was the fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham that he would have many descendants, as many as the grains of sand on the shore and as the stars in the sky. Well, naturally, over that same time, the kings of Egypt died as well. And eventually, we read there was a new king who did not know Joseph. Maybe that was just the passing of time, but more likely it marked a new dynasty. And the way these things worked, any agreements of protection that the previous dynasty had made no longer applied. And we see this again today, particularly where there's, if there's been a coup somewhere. Anyone who was involved with the previous government might flee the country or face Um, imprisonment or even death. So it would have been Joseph. Who's Joseph? Who are all these relatives of his? 
And so the Israelites were no longer protected and faced a severe threat. This king said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Do you hear the fear in that? They are more numerous and more powerful than we are. Now, it might be a fear that the king himself had, but more likely it's a fear that he wanted the Egyptians to have. And it didn't matter if it wasn't entirely true, because it's not that big a step to say, hey, there's a lot of them, to there's more of them than us. It was about raising a perception about the Israelites to influence how the Egyptians saw them. And it enabled the king to act against them. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. In other words, let's outsmart them. Or they will increase. And in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. And the implication was that as they escaped, they would take all the wealth with them and leave the Egyptians with nothing. Again, this was probably not true, but to raise a perception about the Israelites. I mean, why let the truth get in the way? Fear was used to justify and enable oppression. And this is a ploy that has been used throughout history to justify ill treatment and worse against groups of people. So the kings of Egypt made the Israelites slaves, working them so hard that they would be too hungry and tired and sick and demoralised to either rebel or reproduce. But it didn't work. The Israelites not only survived, but they thrived. And the harder the oppression, the more they multiplied. Now, obviously, this was from God, even though it's not stated explicitly. So Pharaoh's plan A failed, leading the Egyptians to fear the Israelites even more. Because this wasn't meant to happen that way. And plan B was even more ominous, and it's where our heroes come in. A question, though... Who was this king of Egypt? After all, there was more than one. Now, we often like knowing how the events of the Bible fit into the events of, I'll say, real history, but you know what I mean. And so it's described by other sources. However, despite a lot of work and speculation, we don't know for certain which pharaoh it was, and mainly because the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible only refers to the king of Egypt or Pharaoh. It doesn't give a name. It's like the credits at the end of a movie. The main characters will be named and listed first with the actor playing them because they're important. And as the list goes on, the characters are listed like man in blue suit woman pushing a pram. They have no names because they are bit parts. And here in the Bible, in this narrative, and in fact through all of Exodus, 
none of the kings of Egypt are named. They are extras, big parts. This king who attempts to destroy the Israelites is a bit part in this story, which means don't focus on him, focus on the ones who are named and what they do. And allow me to introduce these main characters. The Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other who was named Pua. Here are the stars of the story, the heroes. In the eyes of the Egyptians, though, especially the king, they were nobodies. Shifra and Pua were Israelites, slaves now. So status, zero. They were women in a patriarchal society. Status, zero. It's likely that barren women were used as midwives because they had no family to care for. And if that's the case, well, then Shifra and Pua would have been barren women. Status, zero. Triple zero nobodies. And yet they were heroes. And what made them heroes was their fear, but the right kind of fear. The king of Egypt's plan B probably involved a secret meeting with Shifra and Pua, where he ordered them to kill all the boys at birth. And this is more than just getting rid of potential rebels, because the Hebrew actually says sons. Now, yes, sons are boys, but sons implies relationship and promise and future. And in that society, you had no future without a son. Kill the sons and Israel has no future. Let the daughters live because we can use them. But what a conundrum for Shifra and Pua. In the Bible, the king of Egypt may have been a bit part, but in Egypt he was the star. To quote Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, Pharaoh, he was a powerful man, held the ancient world in the palm of his hand. To all intents and purposes, he was Egypt, with a capital E. He could do anything at all to Shifra and Pua. So they had a right to fear him. But what a thing to have to do. A midwife brought life into the world strove to help babies and mothers survive. To kill went against everything. How would they live with themselves? What if the other Israelites found out? Yikes. They were in a lose-lose situation. So what were they to do? And here's why they are heroes. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the sons live. 
This is the first mention of God explicitly in Exodus. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob who had preserved the life of the people when they were small in number by bringing first Joseph and then all of them to Egypt. This is the God who caused the Israelites to continue to grow in number despite their oppression. This is the God whom Shifra and Pua feared. They made the decision to follow what God would want them to do, to value life as a gift from God, not to be taken away. To not be swayed by what other people said or what might happen to them. They trusted God, even when they, even though it might mean death for them. How did they feel when they were summoned before Pharaoh? Well, whatever it was, they gave a remarkable answer with more than a little hint of sarcasm. The Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women, implying the Egyptian women are weak, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Can't kill them if we don't get there in time. Really? Was that true? They never got there in time? At the very least, they were stretching the truth. So is this why Shifra and Pua survived? I mean, I would have thought Pharaoh would still have punished them. So God, again, must have intervened in some way that we don't hear. And more than that, God rewarded them, not because they lied, but because they feared God. They didn't fear Pharaoh and didn't do what he commanded. And what a fitting reward. Shifra and Pua, who were probably barren, were given families because of their trust and respect and awe of God and their willingness to put themselves in a precarious position. Talking of a Shifra and Pua against Pharaoh battle doesn't roll off the tongue as easily as, say, a David and Goliath battle. But what they did is just as amazing and it shows a trust in God that is just as amazing as what David had. How awesome are these women and how awesome is their God? What can we learn from this story of Shifra and Pua and how can we be like them? Well, we can learn about fear. I want to go back to the fear that the king of Egypt caused. Fear that led to oppression and then attempted genocide, trying to involve Shifra and Pua. And when that didn't work, involved his own people because he asked them to kill the Hebrew sons. And I hear echoes of that coming down through history. Anti-Semitism culminating in the Holocaust in World War II. Hutu people who killed Tutsis in Rwanda. Rohingya people forced to leave Myanmar. Donald Trump wanted his wall 
so he could keep those wicked Mexicans out of the US. And even here, where asylum seekers coming by boat were labelled illegal arrivals and a threat to our sovereign borders. Aung San Suu Kyi, a many times political prisoner in Myanmar, wrote the following in an essay entitled Freedom from Fear. It is not power that corrupts, but fear. Fear of losing power corrupts those who wield it, and fear of the scourge of power corrupts those who are subject to it. The fear of losing power corrupts those who wield it. We need to be careful that we don't get manipulated by that fear. It can happen in small steps. So we, expect, we accept the first thing because it might be reasonable. And then the next thing is just a little small step. And the next is a small step. And the next and the next. And then we find ourselves a long way from where we started. It can happen when a statement which is true about a small number of people is generalised falsely to a, to a larger group. So we might say that a very small group of Muslims are extremists and terrorists, and may I add, so are a very small group of Christians. But that becomes that all Muslims are potentially extremists and terrorists. How do we stop ourselves being manipulated by fear? Well, I think to follow the example of Shifra and Pua and fear God. I know that God can be trusted to do what is best for us. Now, we have, all, have more reason to know, to know this about God because we have the whole of the Old Testament to tell us how God dealt with his people. You know, Shifra and Pua were in the early part of that story. And we also have the New Testament, which tells us of God's love for us in Christ. His death and resurrection bringing us the promise of new life in him forever. The book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God will help us make wise decisions so we won't fear others and instead put what God wants us to do first. For Shifra and Pua, this meant not killing the infant sons, even though it could have meant them facing imprisonment or death. For Christians facing persecution, it means not turning away from their faith, even though it could mean that they face imprisonment or death. Our lot is not so dire. Fearing God may mean that we don't join in with things that other people do, such as we won't gossip or put, somebody, put other people down. It could mean standing up for someone who is being dealt with unfairly. On a more serious note, it might be our employer or someone asks us to do something unethical or perhaps illegal. 
or to take advantage of someone. To fear God would mean saying, no, I won't do it. I fear God, not you. Just like Shifra and Pua, our two unlikely heroes. Forever remembered by fearing the right way and trusting in a faithful and wonderful God. Let us pray. Faithful God, thank you for the example that Shifra and Pua give us. Thank you for their courage, for their faith, for their fear of you. Help us to fear you like they feared you, to trust you like they trusted you, that our decisions will be wise and we can act as you would have us do. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.